Kia ora everyone, I'm Karen Das and I'd like to welcome you to this NZ Festival of the Arts session, Joka Alhathi, Celestial Bodies. It's wonderful to see so many of you here, thank you for coming. Joka Alhathi is an academic and author of 10 works, including three collections of short fiction, two children's books, three novels in Arabic, she completed her PhD in classical Arabic poetry in Edinburgh, Scotland, and her beautiful novel, Celestial Bodies, was published by Sandstone Press, a tiny publisher in the Scottish Highlands. It won the 2019 Booker International Prize, which celebrates works which have been translated into English. She is the first Omani writer to be translated into English and the first to win this very significant prize. So Celestial Bodies um, is a superb novel, a rich in detail. It's a saga set mostly in an Omani village, Alawafi, and is based around three generations of an Omani family and the changes that occur in a society, a society that underwent dramatic urbanisation and change in a short amount of time. An evolution from a slave-owning society to one that had to redefine itself with the introduction of new money. It deals with the complexities of womanhood, urbanisation, masculinity, the patriarchy and woman's wisdom. It explores the generational divide, older generations coming through slavery and younger generations playing PlayStation and holidaying in Dubai. We're so lucky to have Jocka here in New Zealand for this festival, so I'd like for you to all join me in giving her a warm welcome. Jocka, congratulations on your 2019 Booker International Prize win. Thank you. <laughs> Can you tell us what your initial reaction was when you found out you won? Yeah. Um, first, I want to say that I'm very happy to be here for the first time, and thank you very much for coming. Um, yeah, I uh, actually I was uh, in the gym, <laughs> and then when I, uh, I I I went to my car, checked my phone, and then I found an email from my agent saying secret. So I found that I'm long listed for uh, uh, Man Booker Prize. I, I like th the, uh, the, uh, this prize and I usually read long-listed and sometimes short-listed uh, works, but it has uh, never crossed my mind that one day I will be in it. So I tried to call my husband, my sisters, my friends, and nobody answered. <laughs> so then the secret remains secret, unfortunately. <laughs> So I went uh, uh, then to the short uh, list and I decided then to attend the ceremony in London. Uh, me and my translator, because it's a shared uh, prize between the translator and the author. So uh, yeah, we traveled there and they announced it. And <laughs> for the first uh, second, uh, the Bethany Hughes, the chair, read, um, a sentence from the book before she announced the name, but me and my translator didn't recognize it. <laughs> we were like, mm. and, and then she said our name, so Marlene was, we won! <laughs> yes, we won. 
<laughs> and it was an amazing shortlist that year too. Yes, it yeah. is amazing. And actually, I met the, uh, all the authors, and I think they are amazing. And I thought, like, we all deserve to win. Mm-hmm. So when you first wrote this book, what came first, the, the narrative and the world that it was set in, or, or the characters? Because it's such a... There are so many characters in the book, and they're very rich. And um, you wrote it in Scotland while studying for your PhD, as if you didn't have enough to do. <laughs> um, so what was the starting point for Celestial Bodies for you? Uh, actually, I, I have always dreamed to write uh, this book. And I imagined some plots and some characters, but I didn't start to write anything until I found myself in Edinburgh with a little baby. She was nine months old. And I, I was doing my PhD in English for the first time in my life. And it was freezing, and we have been, you know, uh, shifting homes. And it, it was like a difficult time for the first few months. So one day, I just shut myself uh, into my room and start the first chapter. Um, uh, so it, uh, it, it gave me the warmth that I needed. And also writing in Arabic gave me the balance between writing in English my PhD and then writing in Arabic. It's my own language. So um, first I started like fast, but then I, you know, everything slowed down for me. So it took like five years to, to write it. Wow. And you say it was your way of keeping warm while you were in Edinburgh. Was it a way of, for you to anchor yourself to your, your home, homeland? Exactly. Uh, I feel it's um, easier to write about my homeland when I'm away from it. And it's easier to write about people when I'm away from them and to write about relationships when I'm out of it. <laughs> so. So Celestial Bodies is set during a really significant time in Oman um, when it was very modernised, very quickly, and it traces an Omani family over three generations through very rapid social change. Um, I just wanted to know, could you tell us about some of those changes that the culture and and society went through? Yes. Uh, You know, in uh, in Oman... um, they, they discovered uh, petrol, uh, but it, it was different in Oman from the other Gulf countries, say Kuwait, for example, or Bahrain or Iraq, because for education, for example, they started education early, but in Oman, it was really late. So, say in 40s or 50s, if you want to study, you have to go abroad. And for many families, that wasn't a choice. And in my novel, uh, uh, Abdullah actually wanted badly to study uh, after he finished high school, but he he couldn't because his father wouldn't allow him to to go. Um, So that was the case for many people. And then... Uh, after 1970, when Sultan Qaboos came to power, 
he changed that so uh, everybody uh, go to school at the same time, like boys and girls. And by, by educating people and at the same time modernizing the, the, the country and, you know, uh, petrol uh, brought uh, good economy and so on. So everything changed very rapidly. And then for me as a writer, I, I like to observe that and I, I, I like to, to think how it affects people's life and it's, uh, it's massive. And sometimes we think that we can change things like material things, but we will still the same inside. But it's, it's not the case actually. We, we do change and we do change like traditions and even values and things without we are noticing that we are changing. Mm -hmm. well, that comes across in the book, just the different generations and the kind of older one and then the newer one coming through. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, so the Booker International is a prize, as you said, that is split evenly between the writer and the translator and that acknowledges the immense work that a translator puts in um, to translating a work. Um, and I think a lot is spoken about what is lost in translation, but I think what is really interesting is what is gained. And um, I'd like to know about your experience of working with Marilyn Booth, the translator, and how you found that process. Um, first, I want to say that thank you to all the translators in the world. Um, I, I can't imagine growing up without reading works in translation, like without reading uh, Dostoevsky or uh, Murakami or uh, um, all the great thinkers, Maylan Kondira and so on, uh, Marquis. So, so uh, it's 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 a great thing to do. Of course, there are something that we can't really translate, like literally. But at the same time, we do have like great translators who can convey the word of the writer to us. So for me, I, I worked with Marlene Booth and she's a professor of Arabic literature in Oxford. And she uh, already translated uh, many novels when, when she started to translate mine. Uh, so we work, uh, we, we haven't met, at, I mean, we, we met once before, but then I was in Oman and she was in Oxford. So we exchanged emails and also uh, she would send like chapter by chapter to me. I read it, then I comment on it and we were in like open discussion and uh, she's, she's very flexible and I think I was flexible as well because you have to give the translator his own space. Um, and at some, Marlene never, uh, never visited Oman, so at some point I had to send her pictures for some items, really like Omani items, so like small water canal called Falaj. As, so I sent her that items and she tends to leave Arabic words in the book, like Falaj, 
because she wanted to introduce that word to the English reader. And I guess because if you literally translated that word phalage, it literally means canal, which doesn't really do justice to the whole um, infrastructure and system of what it means over there. Right. So it was important to leave it. Yes. And that's the judgment call that she has to make. Yes, yeah. yes. And also... Uh, she she would write the name in in, in, in Arabic and then explain it. Uh, so so if you if you don't if you didn't get it from the first moment, you can then know more. It almost adds a kind of richness to yes. the reading experience. Um, and also, I think another good example of that, Jocka, is the title. Um, it literally translates to ladies or mistresses of the moon. But celestial bodies is quite beautiful, isn't it? So, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Arabic title was uh, Women of the Moon or Ladies of the Moon. And then Marlene thought we cannot translate that literally to English for many reasons. It, it, it sounds different in Arabic and moon. Women with moon in Arabic sounds different than in English. So, uh, yeah, Celestial Bodies uh, came after, you know, <laughs> actually a lot of time of thinking. Um, speaking of translation, we thought we would read some of Celestial Bodies um, with Jocka reading it, um, and I can read it in English first, and then Jocka will read it in her beautiful language. So, shall we do that now? Okay. So get me out of the way, and then Jocka can read. So do you want to just explain what this section is yes. first? Yes. So this is from the first chapter, and Maya, the eldest sister, got married, and she insisted to go to Muscat, the capital, to give birth uh, in, a, in a missionary hospital. And then she insisted to name her baby London. So this section is about everybody trying to figure out why or or to, to make her change her mind. Maya opened her eyes to see her daughter cradled in her mother's arms. She dropped off to sleep and when she opened her eyes again, the girl was sucking at her breast. When merchant Suleiman's son came to see the newborn, Maya told him she'd named the baby girl London. She's exhausted, of course, he thought. She must have no idea what she's saying. The next day, Maya, the baby girl, and her mother left the hospital for his uncle's home. The baby's name was London, she told his relatives. The wife of her husband's uncle made fresh chicken broth, baked her the special wafer-thin bread known to be good for new mothers, and made her drink fenugreek with honey to strengthen her body. She helped Maya to wash her hands and then sat down next to her bed. Maya, my dear girl, yes. The woman patted her gently. Are you still set on giving the baby such an odd name? Does anyone name their daughter London? This is the name of a place, my dear, a place that is very far away in the land of the Christians. We're all very surprised, but never mind. We know you're weak and fragile right now. You've just had the baby. Of course you're not yourself and you need more time. 
Do you think about a good name for a girl? Call her after your mother. Call her Salima. Maya's mother was in the room, and she wasn't pleased. My dear woman, why would you want to name her for me when I'm still alive? And now I'm blessed with a grandchild? I suppose you're ready and waiting for me to die. That's why you'd like the little girl to inherit my name, as God's compensation. Oh, dear me. Hastily, the uncle's wife tried to repair her error. God forbid I would ever think that, she babbled. Lots of folks name their children after their parents. When their mother and father are still strong and healthy, may no evil touch you, Salima. So then, let's see. Well, name her Mariam, or Zainab, or Safia, any name but this London. Defiantly, Maya held the baby up in front of her. What's wrong with London? There's a woman in Jalan town whose name is London. The uncle's wife was running out of patience. You know very well that's not really her name. It's just her nickname, something people call her because her skin is so pale. And this girl, well, really now. Maya lowered the baby to her lap. She may not have light skin like the merchant's family does, but she's still the daughter of this family, and her name is London. فتحت ميا عينيها ورأت ابنتها بين يدي أمها نامت وحين فتحت عينيها مرة أخرى كانت البنت ترضع من صدرها وحين جاء ولد سليمان التاجر لرؤية المولودة قالت له ميا إنها تريد أن تسميها لندن ظن أنها متعبة من الولادة وتهذي وفي اليوم التالي عادت البنت وأمها إلى بيت عمه وأخبرت أقاربة أن المولودة اسمها لندن طبخت لها امرأة عم زوجها مرق الدجاج الطازج وخبزت لها خبز الرقاق وسقتها الحلبة بالعسل ثم ساعدتها في غسل يديها وجلست بجانبها وجلست بجانب فراشها يا ميا يا بنتي قالت ميا نعم ربتت المرأة عليها وقالت لها ما زلت مصر على هذا الاسم الغريب للمولودة أحد يسمي بنت لندن هذه اسم بلاد يا بنتي بلاد نصارى كلنا متعجبون جدا وأظن صحتك الآن تسمح لك بالتفكير مرة ثانية في اسم للبنت سميها على اسم أمك سالمة كانت الأم حاضرة فغضبت ليش يا حبة عيني تريدي أن تسميها على اسمي وأنا حي أرزق تتفائلي لي بالموت من أجل أن تخلفني البنت استدركت زوجة العم حاشا لله ما قصت كثير من الناس يسمون أبنائهم على اسم آبائهم وهم بخير وعافية بعيد الشر عنك يا سالمة سميها مريم أو زينب أو صفية أي اسم غير لندن أمسكت مي البنت ورفعتها في الهواء ما لإسم لندن حرم في بلاد قعلان إسمها لندن قالت زوجة العم بنفاد صبر تعرفين أن هذا ليس اسمها هذا مجرد لقب لقبها الناس به لشدة بياضها وهذه البنت يعني أنزلت مي البنت إلى حجرها ليست بيضاء مثل عائلة ولد التاجر لكنها بنتهم واسمها لندن Thank you, it's beautiful. 
I think one thing you do so beautifully with celestial bodies is encapsulate and explore Omani history and culture through the lens of your characters. It's a nice way of exploring culture. Um, the history, I think you come from a ground level because it's largely from the perspective of women and slaves. And I just wonder, what is it about their perspective that is so insightful? The women and slaves, yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to write like history novel, but I am interested in history in novels. And I think it's a different thing. Uh, so I am interested to see uh, how uh, changes affect uh, people's lives, especially who, who haven't given a voice in, in, in history, especially women and slaves and uh, ex-slaves. Uh, so that's what I, 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 what I try to do. And sometimes it's the same story, but there are different uh, perspectives to that story. Well, for instance, at the beginning of the book, we hear from... Maya and what she thinks of her husband, and then Abdullah, and then later we learn about his experience. So it's the different perspectives there too. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and there are three sisters in the book, Maya, Isma, and Kuala, and the three of them are so complex and different in character, and I really love that because you're conveying really that... Um, Omani women are complex and diverse. They don't have to be all the same. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, uh, there are like uh, some stereotypes about women in Middle East and in Oman. And I, I think that even through, throughout history, uh, women were strong. Of course, uh, education wasn't there for everybody. But we still, like, in 19th century, a woman called Joha, like my name, uh, actually led an army uh, to fight. And in my great-grandmother was a scholar, and men came to her house to learn from her. So not everybody were, like, having no life. Uh, but, of course, things changed rapidly for, for women after, uh, especially 1970s. And there, uh, it's not, when we are talking about women in Oman, for example, it's not like one thing, because they came from different backgrounds and, you know, different cultures within cultures. We have 10 languages in Oman, uh, other than Arabic and English. So other 10 local languages. Some of them are spoken outside Oman, like Swahili or Bulushi, but we do have like local languages and uh, different races and, you know, different families and some fa uh, family are really strict and some families are open. So it's, it's, uh, so uh, they're maintain their strength in, in different ways. And sometimes it happens uh, within one family. Uh, so um, in, in this case, Maya, the eldest, felt that, she can't resist. She, she, she had to, you know, to preserve the family's tradition. Um, but for Khawla, the, the, the youngest, it's different. 
Jaka, I'm really interested to know when did you realise that you first wanted to write? When did you, when did it really resonate with you writing? I I, I have I, I always read. <laughs> like when when I was very little, I was like this person who wouldn't stop reading. And at that time, um, the concept of children book. I'm, I'm talking about 80s in, in, in Oman, not in the capital. The concept of children's book is like kind of lavish thing. <laughs> like, like we have few children's book. So then I had no choice but to read classical Arabic literature, which is like more than 1,500 years old. And um, uh, because that's what I found in my parents' library. And I... I I read that without understanding anything, but because I grew up in a literary family, like my grandfather was a poet and my uncle was a poet, and my mom was a big fan of classical poetry and literature, so I started to understand very early, and I benefited from that. Uh, but one day, I was um, hovering in my grandmother's house, and I entered like a bonded store, and in that store, you can imagine it's abundant and there is sacks of rice and, you know, dates and all these things. And suddenly I discovered a whole library, like a whole shelves full of books covered in dust. And the reason there were, the library was there is because nobody thought it's too important to, to be in, inside the house because they are not like, like classical good books. They are like um, Arsene Lubin, Agatha Christie, <laughs> um, in translation, romance, romance novels, and all this, Victor Hugo, and all these kind of things. So it was heaven. I mean, I, I just lived there for four months. Um, uh, and then I think, I, I can't really remember, but I think I was nine years old when I fell in love with my teacher. So I wrote many letters, <laughs> many letters. I, 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 I have maybe one now that to express my love. And then I wrote poetry to express my love. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I started to write in early age, but at that time I, I, I didn't realize that that I, I will be a writer. I just, I just wrote and, you know, I, wrote, I, I read short stories and then I, I just write <laughs> um, as, like, I, I, I am trying to imitate the short stories that I read and these kind of things. So I, I, I began seriously while I was studying in Sultan Qaboos University. I studied Arabic literature. And at that time, I, I was already exposed to the big, you know, writers and things. So, yeah, I started seriously, let's say, from that point. Just going back, what was it about the teacher that you loved so much? Were they someone that taught writing? or No, actually, no. no. <laughs> okay. I, I forgot what she was teaching. I... I, I forget what. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there are two actually, she and he. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were born and raised in Oman, and I just wonder what was your childhood and family dynamic like? You've already suggested that there were a lot of books around. Uh, what was it like for you growing up? 
Yeah, I remember uh, visiting my grandfather and he was like a scholar and a poet and in a very traditional way. Um, so when, he, uh, when, when I was a kid and we visit him, he always speak in poetry. So I thought at that time that he can't speak like us because he always just recite poetry and he was like a great admirer of classical poets in, in Arabic. Um, and I think that affected me a lot and it taught me to appreciate language and appreciate uh, beautiful words. Um, and also my mother, uh, his daughter, uh, uh, she ha hadn't a, a chance to go to proper you know, colleges and things like that because it wasn't there in Oman. But she taught herself and she learned uh, this classical literature. And she used to, uh, you know, recite poetry while she's cooking or sewing. So I took that from her as well. Um, but not everybody was like reading and, you know, and uh, in love with poetry. People were, you know, busy with other things as well. Well, didn't your auntie climb Mount Everest? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's the first Omani to 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 so and so I win Booker Prize and two days later she did it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to overshadow <laughs> summit of Everest, yes. Yeah. Um, celestial bodies has such a complex but interesting structure and how it's structured is each chapter is named after the character who's narrating it. So you can anchor yourself to who you're hearing from, which is a really clever approach. Um, but it, was it originally written like that? Um, is that how you originally structured the book or did it go through a process? Uh, yes, uh, because I, I can't write from one point in history and build on it. So I, I, I have to write that way to, to go and look again to the same episode from different angle. And then other character will think again about the same thing um, in, in, in different circumstances and, and so on. So it, uh, it works well for me uh, and also I did that again in my other novel called Bitter Orange. It will be in English next year, uh, but with less characters. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of characters in the book, and they all add such a rich texture to it. But it focuses more on the middle generation, um, and I just can you speak a bit about that and the generational difference? Yeah. So there are, uh, I think three or four generations in this novel. And um, I was interested in these three uh, sisters, so one family. Um, and then she got married with Abdullah from the merchant family. So Abdullah as well uh, is there. Um, they, they, they were adults in 80s and that, at that time, I was a child, and I, I have seen a lot of people while I'm, 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 a, I'm a child, and I, 
I, I, I heard a lot of stories. So at that time, I didn't realize that this is important or I will benefit anyway from this. But then when I grew up, I realized that I have seen many different types of women and I, I have heard many different stories. And uh, so I think it all came uh, again uh, to me when, when I was writing. Mm -hmm. And... Not only that, but we've talked a little bit about the um, Maya and Abdullah and their reactions to each other. And we sort of learn how he's affected by her treatment of him. And it's really clever storytelling. I think there's one bit where um, he asks her, do you love me? And she just laughs at him. What, what were you exploring there? Yes, uh, I think Abdullah, I, uh, I, I told Karen uh, before we came, I don't like to judge my characters or, you know. Um, uh, I, I think he's, because he lived, uh, uh, let's say, a difficult childhood, he lost his mother very early, and then his father was this kind of, you know, uh, like, yes, Yes, and he, he, for his father, he thought maybe this is the best way for him to treat his son so he become a man and all this, you know, thinking. But for Abdullah, it just destroyed him. And um, then he saw Maya, and um, maybe because Maya was in a position of sewing and she was like holding the machine uh, sewing some, somehow, and he thought there is like a special connection between uh, her and him, and then he instantly fell in love with her, and because they they are in this society where you you can immediately go and ask for for the hand for the woman that. Uh, especially if she's from the same class. So that's what he did. He, he wanted to marry her. So he thought that she will love him in return and that they will be happy. But it wasn't the case because Maya has her own story. So Silly Steel Bodies was published by... An very small independent publisher, uh, Sandstone Press, in the Scottish Highlands. And how, how did you connect with them? How did, how did they come to obtain your book? Um, well, after uh, Marlene uh, translated the book, she found uh, Wiley Agency, which is a very good agency. And um, my agent, uh, Charles Buchan, he's gorgeous. He, he tried to find a publishing house um, and it was a bit difficult because many publishers in, in, in the UK thought that a story from Oman wouldn't be interesting for readers and they thought maybe from somewhere that we hear a lot in the news uh, and there is war going on like Syria or Iraq will be more interesting. So that means that some publishers uh, don't trust readers. 
Um, anyway, so he, he found then uh, Sandstone uh, Press, and actually they, they have never published any novel from Middle East. So <laughs> this was their first. I bet they were like uh, anxious <laughs> about it, but then it, uh, it won, and mm. it was their first one as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's extraordinary. I think um, the great thing about small publishers is that they are able, they have the advantage of being able to publish um, what they want and take risks, and we're really lucky to have them. Otherwise, right, these right, stories, we wouldn't get them, and where would we be if we couldn't read these stories? Of course. Uh, we're of course. so lucky. And, of course, you know, bigger publishers pick, on, pick up on it after... <laughs> <laughs> and um, republish them. But so, what were they like to work with for you? Yeah, I, 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 I it was okay, but it took like long time because uh, they have their own editor, and then the editor has. Uh, we we have like three people conversation because Marlene was involved, me and the editor. Uh, so uh, she was the one who suggested. Uh, the title of the chapters because that uh, is not there in the Arabic uh, version. Um, but but uh, then we disagreed about the last chapter. She wanted to change that, but I said no. So at that point, they agreed. <laughs> I think an important part of this and beautiful part of this um, novel is oral storytelling um, and in particular woman's wisdom and there are proverbs throughout the book and I just wondered if you could talk a bit about the significance of these proverbs and oral storytelling and why you wanted to work those in. Yeah, I think uh, I like proverbs and also I like uh, like oral stories, stories and I, I like like fairy tales and all these kind of things. And in Oman, they are still oral. Um, so old women, uh, especially women, they preserve this tradition. And it's dying, unfortunately, because the new generation doesn't bother. Um, and I, I, I have met characters who would speak in proverbs all the time. So uh, that inspired me to create a character who's d different, like she's, she's, she's different, but at the same time, she's so in, in that kind of oral culture and, and you know, old wisdom and all these old practices like Zarifa. I think um, in the book too that is really interesting is your exploration of the complex master-slave dynamic and you deal with it with such empathy and um, sensitivity I think. Um, I'm thinking of Zaritha and she's an older ex-slave and what you show is that women, even slaves, have power and autonomy which you know you were saying that people see women in the Middle East as being um, represented as being um, marginalised and having no voice and having no autonomy and having no power. Um, but she makes the choice to stay with her slave fam family, doesn't she? So what, what were you um, exploring with Zarifa? Yeah, Zarifa's name in Arabic means the funny one. 
and uh, it's a certain name that would be given to a certain class in society, uh, not to give them like very serious name, and I explored that in, in my novel as well. So uh, Zarifa was born as a slave, and then uh, we, um, the, the law changed. I mean, the law w was always like that they are free in the law, but you know, when people practice, it's different from the law. So uh, when, when the law came in practice, uh, she didn't bother to change her life, and the master, her master was her lover, her only lover, actually. She got married, but she didn't love her husband. So she, she just continued her old life. And in that life, she maintained her own concept of power and, shall I say, freedom as well. Um, because uh, although she was, you know, in, in this... Uh, in this um, environment or in this, uh, you know, social system, she she was considered like ex-slave, but still she has she has maybe more freedom than other free women, and she she made a lot from that, and also she was very confident and she was, let's say, happy in her way, and and of course because she didn't know a life beyond that life she thought that's life mm. did your characters come first in the writing did you write the characters first or did you think uh, of it's complicated <laughs> actually because sometimes i'm thinking just about the ideas and sometimes i'm 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 not thinking about the ideas the ideas i'm thinking about the characters so uh, i i think it 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 comes together mm -hmm. And I really love the way your book deals with um, masculinity and the expectations around masculinity. Abdullah, he's the son of the merchant who kept Saritha as a mistress. And Abdullah has an ex a hunger for acceptance and a difficult relationship with his father. And um, you're kind of looking at the effects of patriarchy on men as well, aren't you? Um, how men are expected to behave and how, I mean, how it breaks men. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I think that patriarchy system is unfair even for men, not just for women. And I have seen many men who suffered from this system as well. And for Abdullah, he suffered a lot. And from the concept itself that he has to be a man. And he wasn't, he was a boy actually. And then when he became a man, there are certain things that he was supposed to do and he simply, it's not him to, to do so. So it's, it's, it's really difficult for anybody actually. And uh, for his father, as I said, he, he, he thought that he's raising his son right. Um, um, so yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explore as well. And I'm trying also to say that there is no one side of a story. There are different sides of it. 
So, Jaka, you're an associate professor in Arabic literature, and I just wonder what's the relationship between your academic practice and your own writing? Do the two inform each other? Uh, yeah, I would I would say yes, because when 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 you do academic work, you do research and you know a lot of you know precise writing. And I think I do the same for my writing, like creative writing as well. Uh, I, I, I do research, to, to, um, especially in, in, in history and in psychology and like these things that I'm interested in. And sometimes it's difficult because, for example, in Oman, we don't have many sources for, such, let's say, early 20s. Early early 20th century, so I had to go back to British Library and to you know these documents and uh, read like old letters and old things. Um, also, it I think it's it's good because uh, when when I write, I'm I'm trying to be precise as well, and I don't like I don't like it when I read a novel and I think that. Okay, these two pages could be deleted without affecting the the novel. So I'm trying not to do that. To be precise. So to be precise. And if I if I wrote a sentence, then I I I try to taste it, and then if I didn't like the taste, I would just <laughs> delete it. How do you test it? What's your like, gauge? Yeah, like like some like like I I could read it loud, or I would like read it twice or three times and think about it. And if it doesn't seem right to me or beautiful, I would delete it. Mm. <laughs> Ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> so you said before your earlier novel, Bitter Orange, is going to... This is, is my second, actually. Yeah, the second novel. Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. it, it, sorry, it's the third. The first oh. one was Dreams, yeah. and then Celestial Bodies, and then Bitter Orange, and it won Sultan Kabu Surprise in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be published in English yeah, next, year. Uh, next year. And have you worked with Marilyn for this? Yes, yeah. yes, she already started translating okay, it. it's great. And are you writing at the moment? What are you working on next? Yes, I'm, I'm a very slow writer. So I, I have started like a few years ago, uh, but I'm still writing. And at the moment I'm very busy, but I'm, I'm trying. It's uh, probably all we have time for now. So look, thank you all for coming to this New Zealand Festival of the Arts program session. And thank you so much to you, Jocka, for all your wonderful insights. Let's give her a round of applause. <laughs>